Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you're under has been broken by Chris Jericho. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride with the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan. And guess what? He's known for playing rock and roll, but we're not talking about too much rock and roll today. We're talking about his new gig with TNA Impact Wrestling. He's going to be writing storylines, creating angles, finding new talent, helping develop the TNA brand. And believe me, he's the right guy for the job. He's new. He's fresh. He's out of left field. It's something different for TNA, and plus he knows his wrestling. Wait to hear his story. Ain't no fluke gimmick hiring. It's not stunt casting for TNA. This is legit, too legit to quit. He's got some very real ideas that he's going to implement into TNA. Excited to get into the wrestling mind of Billy Corgan. And I'm excited for you to get into the crazy, hilarious minds of Team Tiger Awesome. Nick Mundy, Clint Gage, Michael Truly helped write and direct Nothing to Report, our new Comedy Central digital series available now on YouTube. Nick plays Officer Moses Packard. I play Officer Chance Blackstreet, two neurotic, broken cops, discussing their feelings while on a uh, stakeout. Hilarious stuff, getting closer and closer to 1 million views. I promise you, if you like to laugh, you will enjoy these shows. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go watch Nothing to Report. There's six episodes. There's six five-minute morsels of comedic genius. Hilarity shall ensue when you watch these. You find them on YouTube, and they keep growing. The word of mouth gets around. Watch it and spread the love. We want to get to a million views. We want to get to a pilot. We want to get to a series on Comedy Central. If you've checked it out, tell your friends. Go watch your favorite episode again. If you haven't, go do it, man. Five minutes. Nothing to Report on YouTube. I'll wait when you type it in. Have you done it yet? Go do it. Great, great, great. Pick any one. You know, they're all amazing. Captain Ed, Emotional Scars, Shootout, Partners. All of them funny. All of them fun. All of them on ComedyCentral.com. Go check that out. If they keep going the way it's going, as far as people checking out, watching it, spreading the word, we will be doing more. All right? Do me the solid. And I appreciate it, just like I do you the solid of, uh, of bringing this show to you for free for twice a week. And I thank you for being here. And I thank the great sponsors who uh, support our show. And I know there's hundreds, thousands of podcasts to watch and sponsor, yet you continue to schwaz our podcast, our meaning me, uh, since I'm everybody. Well, I guess Stacy, me and Stacy's podcast. Uh, thanks for schwaz and our show, and thanks for uh, being here with me. All right, I got the big announcement coming up. But first, I want to talk about my live with Chris Jericho with Stephanie McMahon. I really enjoyed working with her. It, always a good time to, to sit down and chat. We had so many great experiences over the years, worked together so well. And it was cool to, you know, once again, that's the reason why I love doing podcasts. You get a chance to sit down and talk to somebody for an hour, which is not um, something you get to do every day. People are always walking around and you got to do this and got to do that. And you don't really know what you're talking about sometimes. But I had a whole hour to speak with her and a little bit different from the Cena episode of live with chris jericho i did that in austin after raw and we did the stephanie episode after smackdown on thursday which is taped so i went to uh wb studios in stanford connecticut and after smackdown was over we set up and we did the did the interview so a little bit of a different vibe but still very very cool 
And I had a blast with her asking the hard hitting questions like who was her teenage crush? And she answered Bo Duke uh, from the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Once again, you know how I like to run my shows. I like to get inside the people's heads a bit, have a little fun and introduce you to the real personalities of the characters that you see on the show or anything, whether it's rock and roll or whether it's paranormal, or whether it's hockey or comedians so um i know there were some people once again that were that were disappointed because i didn't ask the hard-hitting questions it was fluff it was softballs it was boring uh i thought it was fun i really enjoyed it so and i know stephanie did and i know uh, vince did he came around the corner and gave me the finger at one point which was awesome it's the only time i saw him all day but you know if, if you do some of the things that 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 the critics want you to do as far as the questions you ask it does nothing but embarrass people and put them uh, behind the eight ball, and that's not fair. That's not why I do my show, and that's not the type of show that I run. You know, I, I don't want to embarrass somebody or make somebody uncomfortable, which is never good. You know, why would you want to do that to somebody? You know, ambush them with these questions. So I just ask the questions that I want to know, and yes, yeah, peppered up there a bit. Asked her about, you know, what it was like dating Triple H, and asked her about AJ Lee, and asked her about you know Ronda Rousey, and all that sort of other stuff as well. So we did have a, a lot of fun and a lot of memories too. Like the, the apes that was so stupid. If you read one of uh, my, my book, my second book, undisputed um, where we talk, maybe it's even in best in the world. I don't remember. No, it was the undisputed where we show up one day and Brian Gewirtz says, Vince, uh, he loves apes. And I'm like, what? He goes, Vince loves apes and the planet of the apes are going to be on the show because they were the ones that, um, that they, they did the movie remember the mark Wahlberg remake the tim burton remake so they were promoting it so they had some apes there in anaheim and vince was like okay use the apes stephanie and chris and kind of just dumped it in our laps make it funny so we had the apes come down and i was saying you know, stephanie is such a slut that she's slept with everybody on earth and now she's gone to other planets to find somebody to bang and you know have relations with and the apes came down with a cake and of course they smashed the cake into stephanie's face it was the most ridiculous thing ever but it actually kind of worked but it was just a funny example of they trusted us so much just put stephanie and chris out there they'll make the apes good so great chemistry with her um for probably two years i'd say we worked together and only had kind of bips and bobs over the last few years but getting a chance to do live with chris jericho with stephanie mcmahon was a blast you should go check it out if you haven't seen it yet on the wb network um and uh, you can watch the John Cena one as well. The two episodes with live with Chris Jericho. There won't be another episode for a while. Uh, my summer schedule is filling up. It's getting quite busy. Uh, and the reason for that is big announcement part one. I'm returning to the WWE. <sighs> you're cheering. I hope you're cheering. Hope you're excited. Uh, doing the live events again like I did, um, I guess, a couple months ago. So now no TVs, no pay-per-views, not to say that that won't happen again soon, but for now it's the live events only. And the reason for that is I still have some Fozzie tours. Uh, we have, you know, heavy Montreal and we're doing some festivals in Canada and we're doing a couple shows in at casinos in the Midwest, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, plus my daughter's birthday is in July. So we're doing, uh, we're doing some vacating, doing some vacations. So got a couple things that I had to take care of, but in the meantime and in between time, I'm doing 19 shows with the WWE in June and July and August. So quite a few, quite a few shows. And I'm going to announce the exact dates later on after Billy Corgan. 
because I'm in the wrestling business. I'm in show business. You gotta gotta hook people, bring them in. Plus, uh, you guys are gonna love the Billy Corgan interview, anyways. It's very very uh, eye opening. But yeah, I'm excited to come back to the WWE. I love doing the live events, um, as you guys know. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you can concentrate more on the matches. You don't have to worry about time constraints and just go out there and say hi to to some of the fans and friends that are out there and uh, get a chance to work with some of the newer guys that I've never worked with before. So I kind of know who I'm going to be working with. Um, but once again, until those, you know, those change cards subject to change all the time. So I will leave that open for now, but I do know the dates for sure. Those are, are pretty much locked in and I can give those to you, which I will be doing uh, later on in the show. First, we're going to talk to Billy Corgan, one of the new bigwigs in Impact Wrestling. He starts this weekend with TNA, and I know he's very, very, very excited. So am I. Something new, something fresh, something different. Talk is Jericho. All right. Sitting here with uh, with Billy Corgan in his studios in the parts unknown section of an unknown city. <laughs> I love that. And it's funny because just to kind of set the tone, when I started doing this podcast, I was like, well, Billy's always a great interview. And we'd, we'd done my radio show before. So I was thinking, like, I got to go to Chicago and try and get him. So it ended up working out that I was coming in. And I called you to tell you that I'm coming and see if you're around. You're like, yeah, but there's something that you might want to know before you do this. And just out of the blue, you tell me. That I just got hired by TNA. <laughs> Right. And I was like, is there a political issue there with you that you can't? You're like, no, I'm an independent free agent. Yeah. And and you are – your official title, is is it like head of creative basically? No, I'm not head of creative. Uh, I'm a senior producer, creative, and talent development. And that – you know, well, I don't know what that means, but it sounds really, It really looks nice. great on a business card. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still wait- actually, I'm still waiting for my business card. Oh, you actually will be getting a business card. I, love, I, I, I'm, I feel you – know, I've never had a real job in my life. This uh-huh. is my first real job. Which is weird. It's very weird, and I'm going through all the kind of the, the experiences people must have when they get that sort of first important job. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing to the boss. I've never had these feelings <laughs> in my entire life. It's, it's so it's like kind of cool and strange at the same time. You're like a rock star, known for your angst and your and your and your moods, and now you have to go. Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> May I please have another. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a it's it's cool. I mean, the opportunity to work for. Uh, major wrestling company, especially one with history, and uh, some of the people there and the talent on the roster. It's like wow, it's an exciting. Well, how did this come to to be? Uh, it's a long winding story, and obviously it's a podcast, so we can get into that. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> the roots of it are pretty simple, in to the extent that uh, I was a TNA uh, person. I I love the business as right. as we'll talk well about documented, that too. and I don't get into the into the let's call it the factional wars. Uh, I love WWE. Uh, you know the the McMahons have always always treated me fantastically. I don't have a negative word to say about the company. Uh, like everyone else, I'm critical of the product, just like I'm critical of TNA's product. We're all fans. Mm-hmm. We all sit there and say, "Oh, I would book it like this and whatever." So, uh, so I was going down to shows. I think probably around 2004, 2005, when they were running out of the Tennessee Fairgrounds. Oh wow! In the early days. Oh, I was in the early early days, and I knew people were working down there. Uh, just incredible, for example. Mm. Uh, and I'm friends with Jeremy Borash, the TNA announcer. So, um, you know, that's just like I was, you know, uh, as I meet other people in other locker rooms, I started to kind of get to know the TNA roster. I started following on the other level. 
And I would, you know, uh, Jeremy would tell me inside things that would maybe make me watch the product slightly differently to understand whether it would be the politics or the booking. And, of course, there's been lots of complaints through the years about the way TNA's been booked under different regimes. And and um, and certainly Jeff uh, came, Jeff Jarrett came under his own uh, share of criticism for the way he was booking and blah, blah, blah. So when you have an intimate uh, understanding, you know, you tend to look at it slightly differently than if you're just a fan on the outside and you're looking at it strictly as a product. And so through relationships, I took on a, maybe a different uh, position with TNA than if I was just on the outside. I'm repeating myself. But through that, uh, through those uh, associations and through visiting uh, at different times, going to Orlando when they were TV taping, and I remember spending like two hours talking to Jim Cornette backstage, mm-hmm. just getting his understanding on how to book, just really fantastic experiences. I think Dutch Mantel was booking at that point. And the Dutch no sold me every time he walked by me. It was like I wasn't even there. I was like, well, I was in an angle with him. It was unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> he did that to me whenever I met him until he came back this time. Uh, is, is whatever his name was, Zeke or Zebediah, whatever the hell oh, it yeah. was. Is it Chip Coulter? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's get comfortable. Yes. Uh, so, uh, God, this is a really long whining story. Anyway, so I got to know Dixie um, as a person. You know, uh, of course, I knew uh, her position with the company. And vice versa, she's getting to know you because you come in there. So here's Billy Corgan, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins guy, and then she realizes after a bit, as everyone does, that you're actually a real, real deal wrestling, not just fan, but um, a student of the game. Love the game. Mm-hmm. Love the game. Love love the other game, the big game, <laughs> your game. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, so Dixie. Uh, you know, through the years, uh, would ask me, what do you think? And, 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 and for those that don't know, Dixie comes from music management. So oh, I maybe has that. a different perspective on how I would view the product, maybe than somebody who's either totally in wrestling or somebody has no knowledge of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Maybe I straddle an interesting world because uh, I tend to look at it more from an entertainment point of view whilst understanding the cost of what it means to be a performer. <laughs> right. I'm in an interesting position like you are. I mean, we can speak to both sides of it. Anyway, so... Um, through the years, she would ask me for my unvarnished opinion. For example, when she was considering uh, bringing Paul Heyman, uh, well-documented to maybe run uh, TNA, mm-hmm. uh, we had a two-hour lunch where she picked my brain about Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is a person. Paul Heyman is a booker. Because uh, you had done some stuff in the later days of ECW? Uh, yeah, I was I, I was involved yeah. in some weird angles at the end. Uh, yeah, to the tail uh, end. The, yeah. the apocalyptic uh, hitting of the <laughs> head of the guitars and uh, <laughs> sign guy Dudley, my friend Lou D'Angeli. Uh, he was Louis Dangerously at that point mm-hmm. doing the the sub Paul Heyman gimmick. Uh, you know, we hit each other with guitars, all sorts of. So stuff. you're actually in the ring doing physical stuff. I got concussed in an ECW ring. Wow, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and the great the great story is you know the, in the, in the spot I was I was supposed to uh, choke uh, Just Incredible down with his kendo stick, strike the Just Incredible pose, and then Lou would come up behind me and bash me with a phone. Well. I got my thumb tucked under the kendo stick, and uh, uh, Justin Incredible was pulling the stick into his thing. To, so he's selling it for me. He told me, just let me do it, but it'll look like you're choking the mm-hmm. bejesus out of me. Well, he, he fractured my thumb or something. I still have a thumb injury for it, and I got concussed like two two seconds later. Um, and I remember passing out my soup later that night, like literally doing the face down into, into the soup. soup. And they're yeah. like, they look at Corgan, he's high. Yeah, so that's my claim to fame is that I took my I took a concussion for ECW, and I got nothing for it. Um, well, the thing is, though, it's one of those things that I, when, when the boys, when you come in, they're like, who is this guy? What has he ever done? It's like, well, you've gotten a concussion in the ring and fractured your thumb and your guitar player, so you did pay the price yes, for that. I did, I, well, I, did, I, I, I hate when celebrities come into wrestling rings. They don't belong there, mm-hmm. and I'm saying that in deference to myself. And so when they do, you know, usually it looks like the shits. And 
and I don't want to see that as a fan. I know fans don't want to see that. So I, I basically was like, if I'm going to do a spot, you're going to hit me. Mm-hmm. And he clocked me. I mean, he clocked me as hard as I've ever been hit. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's a good one. So, yeah, so, uh, God, where we get on the stage? Anyway, talking to Dixie about Paul Heyman and, uh, and telling her my opinions. And so through that, we kind of formed a kind of a off-grid relationship, you know, uh, where she'd reach out to me at different times. And, and I did some business with uh, TNA, uh, giving them songs. Uh, for pay-per-views and things like that. So there was kind of an unofficial relationship already in place where I could pick up the phone and call her about anything and she could pick up the phone and call me about anything. And when I started um, with Resistance Pro and I was looking to do various things, one of which was start a reality show, I actually pitched Dixie on the idea of Resistance being maybe a sub, uh, maybe a a a C-level minor league development for TNA. That went nowhere. Uh, which I'm glad it didn't uh, with the way everything worked out with that promotion. But that said, maybe that planted the seed in her mind that I was uh, willing to work with her on some level. And so, uh, lo and behold, I just came off a long uh, eight-week tour, and uh, there's messages from Dixie saying, uh, why didn't you call me back, blah, 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 blah. Call her back, and she's like, what do you think about coming on a creative? And it was like, this is the weirdest thing ever, because, <laughs> you know, um, usually it's somebody like me trying to get through the door and somebody going, well, you don't really belong here, and... You're not of this world. Mm-hmm. So to be invited in has been an incredible experience so far, and, and now it's a whirlwind. I mean, every day is like... It's amazing because, like I said, I mean, I want to preface this by I always enjoy talking with you because you are the reverse me. And the only other person that I've met that you you know, you know are into music and into wrestling and are doing both at a, at a High level, obviously, Smashing Pumpkins probably will go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at some point in time, and if not, still He'll swerve me. Pretty, pretty, watch, pretty, it'll be, it'll be, it's gonna be a swerve. <laughs> pretty huge. Pretty Don't huge. Put my band. band in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no specific swerve, members. Yeah, yeah. We can't remember who's actually in the damn thing. But 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 you know, talking about the Pumpkins, very you know, uh, one of those bands that made it to the top of the mountain, and then here you are now as the creative the official title is again. Senior producer, creative, Senior and talent producer, development for, for for a major wrestling company. And Hello, it yeah. Reminds me a lot of, of of my journey in that come through wrestling, become world champion, then start with Fozzie and work my way up the ladder to where now we're touring with Kiss and doing all these cool things. There's nobody else on the planet I can think of that have done what you have done, what I have done. I'm not saying that from an egotistical way. I'm saying that from a very historical fact way. It's 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 interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I actually can't think of another person that could sort of be in our little club. Yeah, because you, when you came into wrestling, you have to you have to prove yourself. Oh, you know, you. I mean, and I you, know. I listen, and I'll I'll, I'll compliment you because when I saw you get uh, into music, I immediately assumed it was what you would assumed celebrity it's vanity a side project, job, yeah. vanity project. You know, we we've seen that with different uh, different talented people, and you know, the assumption tends to be tends to hold true. And you have put the work in. Mm. You put the work in, and 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 I know how hard that work is. Sure. So, as and and I hear what you're saying. You can appreciate the work I've had to put in to build the relationships in the wrestling community, to have credibility, to go into a booking meeting, and sit with guys who have, you know, in the, in the case of uh, John uh, Gaberk, you know, 13 years with WWE at the yes. highest levels, like booking some of the biggest angles, and I'm sure booking stuff with you. Mm-hmm. Um, to sit there and be able to hang in that meeting, that's not a, a zelig thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, have, I, have, I have learned, uh, w- as much as I can learn at the levels I've been at, and as an observer and as somebody who understands the entertainment business, now I'm getting the chance to uh, prove myself at that other level, and it's fantastic, but I feel I belong there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think what's re- been really cool is, 
you know, when you when when announcements like this is coming, you kind of hold your breath because you don't know what the reaction is going to be. I can pretty much predict the reaction of the um, the music world because right. my fa fascination with professional wrestling is treated like just an extension of all my other insanity, He's which weird is well Corgan. documented. He's yeah. a weird guy, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. I, I don't mind working that gimmick, and they can think that all they want. I'm a very successful person mm -hmm. at what I do. That said, when you when you see that that credibility, however it fans out, whether it's the you know conversations with Mick Foley in, in this dressing room, or you know standing there after WrestleMania uh, when they throw the big party, I remember you know, seeing you there a and meeting ago, yeah. and meeting all the agents, you know, and being respectful and understanding the business and knowing how to act, and you know those little things that really do matter in wrestling that an outsider would not understand. Mm -hmm. To see that the wrestling community's general reaction to me coming to TNA is essentially positive. Wow. Which is pretty hard to do. Like, you know how, I'm sure it's, well, it is the same with music fans. Very opinionated. Yeah, and, as, as it should be. As it should be. And, and, and a lot of times almost kind of, I'm not going to say negative, but almost like, oh, come on, Billy Corgan. But it hasn't been that way. It's almost been like a natural, like, well, why not? Why not Billy Corgan? Yeah. And I mean... Uh, Dixie was on Stone Cold's uh, podcast, your competitor, uh, the other day, <laughs> uh -huh. and uh, and he told her that um, he he thought it was a great thing, and he really supported it. I mean, that, talk about an incredible endorsement. Um, well, this is what I think about it, and 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 I've always thought about like why not take a chance on something outside the box for TNA. You know, if they would have said they're bringing back Vince Russo or Eric Bischoff, or it's like we've we've seen this so many times. Even if they said Bill Watts or Dutch Mantel or Bruce Pritchard. We've seen that, but Billy Corgan, that, 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 that intrigues me. It's like, what is Billy Corgan thinking? What's he going to do? What's, what ideas does he have? And you're going to come at it from a different place. Totally. Which is what that company needs. I feel that. Um, there's certainly uh, an openness within the company to that. But again, we're dealing with the structure that's in place. They have TV to shoot. They have uh, shows to run. Uh, they have uh, partners by which to satisfy, corporate and otherwise. So... It's not as simple as you just walk in like, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. We're going to rip up this thing, this <laughs> long tradition, um, which, of course, is informed by generational thinking and ratings and all sorts of factors, and another to, to, to actually enact change. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting because I saw something that uh, I believe it was uh, uh, on PW Insider the other day where the guy was saying, the guy uh, was answering a question about me and said, uh, will Billy actually change anything in, in, in TNA? And and I thought the answer was very astute to the to the sense of, is he going to be able to navigate the politics, the power structure like that? I mean, what what has he actually been given? Mm -hmm. And uh, the best thing so far that I can say is that uh, Dixie and John have totally empowered me to come in and make change. Whether or not the change that I'd like to see will make sense to them at the end of the day, whether it's good for TNA as a business, which is what I would say is the number one priority. Absolutely. And then, by extension, everybody on the roster and the fans and stuff like that—that—that um, that, that is a work in progress. But at least from the first moment that I walked through that door, I was in a booking meeting within an hour, and I was helping book angles within the hour. Is this in Nashville or Orlando? In Nashville. In Nashville. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I mean, it wasn't like, "Hey, come in and sit in the corner." It's like. I rolled up my sleeves like everyone else, and I got in on the booking, and we started getting into it. And it was a beautiful exchange of ideas from people who, who have opinions and know what they're doing. So I, I have been brought in to actually affect uh, my perspective, whether or not I can gain credibility within the company to do that. And by extension, then, if my ideas resonate with fans, 
Um, I think the thing I could most enact change in in the short term and say like the, the next six to 18 months would be character development. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's a skill that I feel I have that's very similar to being able to pick musicians or something like that. It's a, it's a sense of being able to look at something and say, that guy can go and that guy can't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. I feel I understand that um, fairly well. And, uh, and of course, I've spent thousands of hours speaking to everyone like you on down for your perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fascinating when you talk to somebody who really knows the business from the inside out. And they'll tell you not only who can work, but why they think they can work. And it's fascinating sometimes the answers you get back because it may not be a, may not be a top guy. You know? Well, for me, um, the most important thing about – and you'll get this. You already know the answer to this because you've been in show business for 25 years or whatever it's been. The most important thing is connecting with the audience. And I'm not going to say gimmick but character. Mm-hmm. Charisma, personality. Yeah. You have the greatest match in the world. If you don't connect, nobody cares. If you're the ultimate warrior and don't do call, but you're the ultimate warrior, people flock to you. Amazing, right? right? You know what I mean. Amazing. And that's you know if we... See, I, sorry to interrupt you, but I I go back to Jerry Blackwell. If you remember Jerry Blackwell, I grew up in Winnipeg. Thank you. Jerry Blackwell was one of the great workers, in my opinion. Yes. Here's a guy who was very very overweight. He was probably 400 pounds and about five foot eleven or so, maybe 500 pounds. Guy could work with anybody. Mm-hmm could move, could get it over. I think that um, uh, the opportunity exists uh, always because like any franchise uh, that's successful, and let's say that there's no, there's no argument that WWE is the, is the, you know, the most successful franchise in, in wrestling history. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the New York Yankees or something. Right. With any culture, uh, no matter how um, attentive they are, they're not going to look at certain things a certain way because the world's coming to them. Uh, I've had countless conversations with wrestlers, and of course, to them, being in a, in a ring at WrestleMania, as you have been, is the ultimate summit peak mm. of this business. So what that tells me is, is that for every guy that's got a beeline on that, there's somebody just like me saying, there's a different business for me that doesn't necessarily end in a WrestleMania ring. When I looked um, at, let's say, the same perspective in the, in the 80s or something, and I saw you know, the MTV Awards or the Grammy Awards, I didn't necessarily sit there and say, I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of something just like that, but in my own way. I didn't want to compromise who I was to get there. And I'm not saying to be in the WWE is a compromise. I'm saying is there's always going to be an alternate path. There's always going to be an alternate destination. And oftentimes the most exciting stories are those alternate destinations, the Cinderella teams, the, Completely. the, the, the comeback that you don't see coming, the, the, the wrestler who was washed out in one system who becomes a star in another. Well, and you can name, we talked about it a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. you could name half a dozen guys off the top of my head that became world champions in the WWE that were considered washed up or never, never was as. In WCW, you can right. go from Austin to Triple H to yeah. Mick Foley to Jericho to Benoit to Guerrero, and that's because there's a different way of doing things, but you have to and, stay true to yourself. And I'm sure, I, obviously, I'm getting more on the inside of it. I'm sure there are people on the on the on the TNA roster right now that probably anybody wouldn't understand has that other level in them because they haven't been put in that position, mm-hmm. whether through character or story or whatever. My point is, is is it's identifying that talent what I would call X factor, you know, sure. I'll tell you a funny story that I don't think I've ever told publicly. I went down to TNA, uh, probably, like I said, 2000, somewhere in the t- mid two thousands. 
maybe it was oh five oh six, and uh, and uh, and I was going down there to hang out with the just incredible. Okay, fine. So they're all staying at some motel something, and I got a room there. And I walk into the lobby when the when the talents all go into the to the venue to um, pre show whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you guys call it. I, yeah. I know what I call it. Okay, true story. Mm-hmm. Honest, cross my heart. I, I'm I'm supposed to meet in the lobby and, our, and the talent's going to be there and everyone's getting a van going to the gig. Okay, whatever. I walk in the lobby and I see a wrestler. He's about six two. He's got bleach blonde hair. It's it's combed back. I've never seen him before in my life. I don't know who he is. And if you told me his name, right, I w- I wouldn't it wouldn't have rung any bell. And I looked at that guy and in my mind I thought there's a star. Hmm. That's all I thought. I said that guy's a star. And I turned to uh, to PJ and I said, "Who's that guy?" He goes, "That's CM Punk." Hmm. Had never even seen him work. Didn't know he could talk English or any other language. <laughs> but he carries himself with a certain. What is that? Why do you want to look at Punk when he's in a ring as opposed to? I don't know. Hmm. What? As I've said many times, why did I succeed when somebody else didn't? Mm-hmm. I can tell you that from the very early gigs of Smashing Pumpkins, when we would play bars, people drinking, you know, everyone knows that vibe. Wednesday night, yeah. they're out to get laid. They're not out to hear the band. When we would be on stage, people would look at us. They couldn't take our, their eyes off us, and they didn't even like our music. There was something about the charisma of that unit yeah. that made people look at us. So whatever that X factor is. So I always think, in my mind, of Jerry Blackwell or Adrian Adonis. Names that aren't forgotten to wrestling fans, but wouldn't be mainstream names. People who could work their rears off. And I know I know that if you actually scour this country, there's 50 Jerry Blackwells, hmm. you know what I mean, that don't fit a certain stereotype, that don't fit a certain gimmick. But there are new characters, new stories to be told that would have never be, been seen in wrestling. Now, will I be empowered to do that to the level I want to be? I don't know. But at least so far, the, the inclination is yes. That that will that will I'll be given that chance. When Dixie called you, was it pretty much a cold thing? Like, did, did you ever like tell her I've got this idea, this idea? Or did she just call you and say join creative, and then you got to take out your pen and start writing ideas down? We'd had specific conversations about specific things along the way, but generally speaking, it was more of like overview of the product, mm-hmm. direction, booking, stuff like that. You know, what do you think, kind of stuff, um, and occasionally very specific, like. I'm thinking about Paul Heyman coming, what do you think? Good, bad, tell me the upside, tell me the downside. You can imagine that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you liked it. I was amazing. I, yeah. I and I and I and I applaud her for um not just speaking to me, but being so open minded. You know, really wanting to know. Mm-hmm. Um there are a lot of people in positions of power that really don't want to know. Now dealing with Dixie on an on a on a more day to day level about the business, she really wants to know. She doesn't want to hear what you think she wants to hear. She wants to oh, hear no. the truth. No, no. Dixie is a determined person and is is determined to take TNA where she sees it going. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe only she understands that vision at the highest level. And maybe it hasn't gotten there the way she would have liked. And I haven't gotten into that level of discourse with her. But that said, there is no hesitancy in her mind about what she wants to have happen. So what what is that that she wants? I think I think the sense is that there's an opportunity to build a brand that's totally different, but synonymous with the world of professional mm-hmm. wrestling. Um, that doesn't necessarily shy away from the professional wrestling label. Maybe sort of takes that up in a different way. I personally think, um, in in this regard, uh, 
and you'll never hear me uh, say a disparaging word about uh, Mr. McMahon. To me, he's a visionary genius. Mm -hmm. He saw something 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that only a visionary could see where wrestling could go and where it could reach in the culture that, in a way that none of those territorial guys saw. They were obviously very stuck on their spots, and he had this bigger vision. And, and I think he's implemented that. And even when people uh, uh, were against the sort of sports entertainment label, uh, of course, you were more on the inside. I don't know how it felt on the inside. Even I, as a fan, was kind of like, why are we avoiding the world, world mm, wrestling, wrestling and all yeah. that kind of stuff? It did feel weird. Okay. But looking back now and seeing it, it's like that's what the mainstream world needed to hear. That in essence, to see a company like that more as an entertainment brand right. than a because because sometimes people get really dumb with words like sure. like uh, for my band the grunge label yeah. okay, I want to shoot myself when people call <laughs> us a grunge band I mean some of my biggest songs have nothing to do with grunge have nothing to do with Seattle yeah nothing to do with goatees well and you're from Chicago Thank by you the way very much, yeah. <laughs> so so I'm, I, I I can. All I'm trying to say, and not trying to be silly about it, is labels can. At There's some, a word association. When you hear wrestling, you think this. When you hear grunge, you think long johns and shorts. Nothing. Nothing yeah. is more uh, 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 evident of this bias in that uh, a wrestling program can draw a 1.0 rating, and an NBA game can draw a 1.0 1.0 rating, and wrestling will receive less advertising money and dollars because wrestling is sort of a dirtier brand. Yeah, yeah. and a is, lot less. Which is unbelievable mm -hmm. when, you, when you're talking about basically the key demographic, you know, males, 16 to 24, whatever. So wrestling can literally draw the same dude <laughs> for the same reason and will make less money. I mean, yeah. that just tells you how the advertising world views it. So the mainstreaming of wrestling, the idea that um, – that wrestling serves a greater purpose than just what goes on in the ring. Although it creates tension within wrestling culture, I see it as a visionary act. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in that, in that, to that extent, is there the opportunity still there with TNA to create an entertainment brand wholly on its own? Absolutely, no different than there were the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks and the Who. There should be Maiden and Priest. Thank you very much. <laughs> there, there, there is plenty of room and plenty of talent to create a brand that has its own identity. Mm -hmm. And if anything that I'm in there harping about already is let's create our own identity and that whatever's gone on, um, and, and, and if you want to get into it, I'm more than happy to talk, but, but there is still that opportunity to create a unique brand. And, and, I, and where I feel I can speak with great credibility is I understand what that means. Mm -hmm. I looked at a music landscape and said, no, I'm going to build this thing my own way. And I did it, and I'm still doing I'm still... I just took in the other room and showed you some of the stuff we're doing. I'm still going against type because that's my brand. That's my thing. And I've been told, change the name, change your teeth, change your hair. I mean, I've heard every conceivable thing, gimmick change you can imagine. But I, somehow I've made it work because I built something that's wholly singular. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I hope I would bring to TNA is the idea that at the end of the day, what's, to, what's most to TNA's benefit is to build a singular brand. So how do not, you... not, a, not a competitive brand or not a, a brand within the shadow of something, but something that's wholly distinctive on its own, that has its own credibility, its own helioverse. Great that's word. A, that's a big word Great for word. wrestling. <laughs> but but like, you're talking about how you've done this, and if you look at it from big bands of the 90s, Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, you know, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, etc., etc., heavy bands from the 90s, they're all heavy bands from the 90s, started in the 90s. But they all have their own identity and their own feel yes. and their own vibe. So you just that's exactly what you want to do with TNA. Yes, it's all wrestling, but WWE has their style. TNA has their style. Ring of Honor has their style. 
Talk is Jericho. Sitting here with uh, with Billy Corgan. And who else, when you said you went to the booking committee, who's in, the, who's on the, who, who's in there? Uh, uh, Dave Lagana. Okay. Matt Conway and uh, Christy Hemme. Oh, Christy's uh, booking now too. Okay. I, or I involved. I can't speak specifically because my understanding, and I could be totally wrong, and I hope I don't offend her, my understanding is that she's sort of taken this uh, position of both learning uh, through the booking committee and also, because um, I have seen some criticism on- online from somebody, it might have been Cornette, about her being involved. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he, 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 <laughs> I don't think he really truly understands the, the situation. Because my understanding was is that uh, Christie's in there uh, to learn and is sort of uh, focusing her life in a, in a sort of a different direction now. Which is cool. She's starting as an apprentice sort of thing, yeah. That's my understanding. I could be wrong. But secondarily, she's also kind of um, created a position where she's sort of a liaison between uh, uh, Big and the women's division. Okay. So she's taken a leadership role in the women's division, which has allowed the women's division to have maybe a stronger voice within those mm-hmm. within that setting. That's my understanding coming in. I don't think I'm giving away any secrets no, there. No, they've implemented that in NXT with, uh, I believe she wrestled as Sarah Del Rey, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, she, yeah, she's in NXT as uh, a female agent and also works very closely with the girls there and with Triple H. But look at the, the division in NXT, the, the, the women's division mm-hmm. there. It's gone through the roof. So that's a very valuable thing to have is that liaison between I, know, I've, state I, and country. I've known Christy for years, like, prof, I don't know, maybe 12 yeah, she's a rock years. chick, yeah. Um, and uh, I've always found her, uh, you know, very bright, uh, very professional, mm-hmm. and um, and and her ambition is the right kind of ambition. Yeah. You know, she wants to move forward, and uh, I think her representing in that uh, sense, I, I have nothing but respect for her. I thought the, the way she articulated uh, some of the things that would have been a concern, or I, I, thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. So what is your game plan, then? You were mentioning, how, how do you... You know, you've got the keys to the kingdom now, man. <laughs> I have some of the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, what you're saying is though is is that Dixie and and John are giving you I might not be interpreting this properly, but giving you kind of third billing in the creative. Like you have the mm, I would say I would say in creative it's it's uh it feels like uh uh and 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 I would defer because obviously there's more experience there, but um it feels like Matt and uh Dave, Dave and yeah. I are on the same sort of level as okay. far as uh, everybody's got a chance to pitch and everybody's got a chance to argue. Gotcha. And okay. I and I found working with them fantastic. Um, it, it was it was there was there wasn't an idea I had that I didn't feel they improved upon. Mm-hmm. And where they poked holes in it, I didn't feel they were poking holes to poke holes. I felt like they were poking holes that needed to be poked. It's it's songwriting. Billy, you know, yeah, yeah. you and I writing a song together. Saying, having been in that collaboration process yeah. so many times, I, I found it. I find it really refreshing. Actually, booking on my own is very ner- nerve wracking mm-hmm. because you know when it goes well, you know you're a genius, and when you go, <laughs> it's, a, it's a sort of pumpkins sometimes. You know, writing all the songs, you know, you're the genius or the goat. So um, I enjoyed being a part of a, a sort of creative process. Because when you were talking about Resistance Pro, did you book that all yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was some level of collaboration to the extent of we would discuss things, but at the end of the day. I was booking ninety six percent of it. So you've actually had some on the job experience doing oh, yeah. this. Oh yeah. yeah, no, I booked for a while, uh, and 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 uh, f- for anybody who wouldn't know, I mean, you know, like any indie promotion, you have national talent come in, in. right? So they we had in. Lashley in, Vader in, X Pac in a couple times, uh, Matt Hardy, and Harry and Smith, Harry Smith was there, Rhino was there, uh, Davy Richards was there. So I understand the dynamics of working with. 
you know, high-level talent, and, and particularly in, a, in, a, in what I would say is a difficult situation where they're coming into an indie company and you're trying to convince them of what you want to do mm-hmm. when they've got all the juice in the situation. So uh, I feel I have a ger- very good rapport with the, the professional class to understand what they're looking for and what they need from me, and I, and I felt that most of those uh, encounters were quite positive. So what, what do you think TNA needs to do? Like what are some of your things you want to kind of implement? Do we have enough? Uh, <laughs> do we have enough tape? We, is there enough Roll tape the tape. Um, gosh, I don't know where to start on that. I feel they're in a kind of a, a bubble, you know, um, and a, as they've moved networks, uh, John's done a good job of sort of like saying, okay, let's, now that we've made this move, like what's going to be, what's the, what's the result of this move? This is my summary. This is nothing he's told me. This is my understanding of, for myself. Uh, okay, we're, mo- we're making this move, uh, you know, we're with a different broadcast partner now. Um, and they and they do have a challenge in that um, Destination America is available in less homes than Spike was. The upside is now they have a very motivated TV partner. Mm-hmm. Where uh, and and I I saw from the outside where I never felt Spike gave them uh, they do, the yeah. time of day. Yeah. Uh, they kind of got the stepchild kind mm-hmm. of promos, even though it was doing a million. I thought they were yeah, doing they did one point or they whatever. Did, hey, that's nothing to, to sneeze at in, in, in right. a world uh, full of you know iPads and phones and okay, so. There seems to be uh, a real focus on let's get the wrestling product sort of tightened back up. Let's let's get back to telling good strong stories, and they're running really good angles right now. So to me, the uh, the way things are running right now is not as much of an issue as what I would call kind of stepping back and looking at the bigger picture. And uh, to use my parlance, is there a way to turn this battleship in a different direction? Not come in and blow everything up and say, uh, you know, Billy Corgan knows what he's doing, and not, and and then and then deal with the slings and arrows of what that would really mean. And I wouldn't want that even if it was offered. It's more like, is there a systemic way to look at a brand that has had its ups and downs, and then apply a a new, fresh logic to that that takes advantage of its pluses by minimizing its minuses and then moving it to a new destination that actually gets it where you want to go without kind of blowing up the bridge. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. In, in my parlance, I would call it like a system reset. What would a system uh, reset in, in TNA look like? I, I think simple observational things like maybe there's too much interference in particular matches, not enough clean finishes. Um, I don't always agree with the way the titles have been booked. Now, that's easy to say, right? That's, that's armchair, dirt sheet stuff. But can it be? Can can the, can that thinking be applied in a systemic way that will yield both short and long-term results? The greatest advantage TNA has right now is it can move very quickly into different positions. It can kind of move a lot quicker than a bigger company, and I also think it's running as a meritocracy. the The best talent I think is is really being given a chance to rise to the top. So what I'd like to do is bring in a lot of new talent to create a more competitive atmosphere, uh, in a way that doesn't sort of challenge the bank. Uh, book side of it all, put myself in a position where have the credibility come in and say, I think these four or five people can make a contribution to the roster today. Mm-hmm. Secondarily, uh, and, I, and I'm fighting for this, and, and, and there's an openness to it, so it's, uh, fighting is the, maybe the wrong word. I'm pushing for this. I think TNA needs a developmental. And I would love a situation where you can find somebody who's got all the talent in the world and is very green and say, right, when do you want this guy on TV? Nine months? I got nine months. I'm going to put together a team of people, whether it's a Kid Cash or Raven people I know who have credibility in, in our world and can get that person ready for television. In essence, set up kind of a like an upward movement. And I think 
with what's gone on TNA, uh, you know, and I don't need to get into it because it's it's nothing I can talk to with any sort of depth. But the changes I think have created kind of a a mentality where it's like let's just kind of keep this solid for what we have. And I don't think that's a bad philosophy because there are indicators that things are moving in the right direction. But can I come in and kind of turn the battleship maybe 10 degrees to the left or 10 degrees to the right, mm. where once the fans see that movement and it's closer to maybe to what they'd like to see in the product, because, of course, we're all in a reactive business. I play a song, nobody reacts. I, I'm probably not going to play the song again. You put it on an album that doesn't Thank work. You. Yeah, right. Yes. So uh, if I can maybe affect that battleship tilt into some other that we actually see where the fans are like, okay, now this is a little bit more what I'm looking for from a different company. Mm-hmm. Because as I point out many, many times, those WCW fans didn't necessarily go to the mothership company. Yeah. There's a lot of fans out there who, when they turned off professional wrestling, have turned it off for good. Oh, yeah. There was 12 million people at the peak of the Monday Night Wars. Thank you very much. There's four now. So those people are out there. So um, let's step back uh, even further. What does that say about the business as a whole? Does that say that they'll never watch wrestling again? Does that say that they're turned off by one company and they're by their by that extension they won't watch any wrestling? Uh, if presented a different point of view, would they come back to wrestling? If they're presented a point of view that's maybe more commensurate to the point of view that they once had, mm-hmm. let's call it maybe a Southern style or a Memphis style or a Florida style, would they come back to wrestling? Mm-hmm. If you could draw 10% of those people back, are you moving in the right direction? All those opportunities are there. And so my, uh, my job, I really feel, is to try to move that battleship in a direction that links a little bit more into youth culture and gets a little bit more um, at a rapid pace, hmm. uh, uses the social media, uses... Makes it a little more hip, but for lack a, of a better hip's term. Hip's a funny word, you know, because uh, here we are talking about Jerry Blackwell. I wouldn't say that in 1978, when I was watching Jerry Blackwell on television, that he was a hip guy. <laughs> right. But something about him as a as a as a wrestler and as a personality sticks in my mind a blackjack mulligan sticks in my mind a dick the bruiser sticks in my mind i guess what i'm saying those is as a, as a sum of all those parts awa was hip like when awa came to town when i was a kid and i'm, I'm assuming you're, you saw these guys in awa in chicago it was the place to be hello and same with wwf in 88 and wwe in 99 and 2000 wcw in 97 that was the thing to do. Have your friends over and watch, you know, have a couple of beers and watch wrestling. TNA doesn't have that vibe. TNA needs to get there as far but as. But I think you got to get there in 2015. I, if sure. we could wave a magic wand and, you know, you could right all the wrongs mm-hmm. and it would be uh, financially uh, prudent to do so. Um, and you had, let's call it AWA 2015 style. And it just happened to be called TNA Impact. I think they would love that. I think fans would love that. But getting there in, in, the, in the pace of the world we're at now, that's, that's a challenge that's not always easily done from the outside right. or inside. Mm-hmm. So am I an astronaut coming in? You know what I mean? Am I, am I some interloper that sort of you know, wandered in and it's <laughs> yeah. more a, a byproduct of my celebrity than my, my business acumen as, as it pertains to wrestling? I really feel that through talent development and a sort of slightly alternative perspective, which I've proven in the world to know how to do in terms of, a, like, let's call it an alternative brand building, mm-hmm. if I can just tilt that battleship into an arc that is a little closer to what the fans that are looking for, and they could be 15 to 60, I don't care, because that's the great thing about wrestling. I mean, my, I, I learned wrestling from my great-grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, who was 80, <laughs> and I was five, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just finding that, that heat, 
And the beauty of the world we're in is that that information travels very fast. I know pretty much right away when I release an album or I play a concert whether or not it's really working with the fans. Now, whether or not I care, <laughs> I have the uh, the place in my life where I can say, I don't care that you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. In TNA, you have to consider business models, history, people's perceptions of the brand, whether it be they real or not, biases that have been formed within the company uh, through through success and failure. The network's going to have some say, I'm network sure. The network has right? a big say in this, and I, I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very involved in, in, in my, uh, not my signing, but my sort of how it got rolled out, and they did a fantastic job. Uh, and we were all surprised by the incredible wave of, a lot of, of energy that came. Big, I mean, big uh, Hollywood reporter major, type ma stuff. Major, yeah. yeah uh, variety. We, we broke, the, broke the story in variety, and, and, and it worked on down. So um, rambling on, I, I think what I'm trying to say, and I'm not trying to be political about it because I don't feel I have to be, but what I'm trying to say to those who would sort of be, let's call it, um, more than casual observers of the business or how these things work, or they have an opinion about how a company works from within, my job is, is not to come in as a wrecking ball. My job is to make a, a qualitative argument from a particular perspective, which I think is both based in history and my experiences in the entertainment business, how with some subtle tweaks and so some systemic changes that will ultimately result in new talent that is only associated with TNA's product from the ground up, how if we can do that, that we should see that that lightning start mm -hmm. to strike. Now, you got to get there first before you know whether that happens. Do you have uh, you, you mentioned bringing in like you know, new talent and that sort of thing? Do you have kind of your finger on the pulse of, of who, who's out there because of Resistance Pro or just because you're such a big fan? Do you know there's a lot of guys that you might be able to bring in to make a difference? I know about um, I would say six to eight people right now personally that really? I work with that would make a difference. Okay. Yes. And here's, and here's why I would say that. Because what was interesting about Resistance Pro was the first business model I was after was a reality show. I used to say, you cannot take on the monolith by being monolith light. <laughs> um, the way you take on any monolith, just like I took on the music industry, was to build your own brand. Mm -hmm. So in the Resistance Pro model that we started with, uh, which they're now uh, actually it's kind of funny they're 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 running from <laughs> I don't know why it still uh, exists it does exist okay. um that's there's there's a, there's a podcast onto itself <laughs> um so we booked from the beginning not as an independent wrestling company we booked for reality television okay which is a model I don't think you've ever seen in in wrestling hmm. and I would have workers come in and complain about the product because they didn't see the reaction from the independent crowds they were used to seeing in some gym in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I kept telling people, I am not booking for the crowd <laughs> in the building, which sounds kind of antithetical to why you're there. I was booking to make for a compelling reality television show. And we filmed four episodes for AMC, and the AMC executives were coming back and saying, this is unbelievable television. When they decided to cancel their entire reality slate, we kind of got thrown out with that bathwater, and we were not able to find another uh, business partner that wanted oh. the show because, hold your breath, most people don't want to get in business with professional wrestling, wrestling even if it's a reality show. Mm -hmm. So now I'm with TNA, obviously. So I spent three, four years of my life working with talent from the perspective of what about you and what about your character would be compelling through a lens, and so I had a very um, 
You're talking, have, you met with the talent. You've met with. Oh the yeah, I would. Yeah, and I and I would I would and 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 talent would fight me on. Oh, and resistance. Yes. Okay. And and some was national talent coming in, and some was was some was the talent that was there on the roster. They would fight me because they didn't understand because they wanted to do this cheap pop shit that works in some VFW. And I kept saying, that is not what's going to translate through that camera. And so I, I don't want to speak about it as if some visionary thing because I never proved it anywhere. But my point is, is that I was booking from the perspective of, can this person both be a compelling uh, reality show figure and a wrestling mm. character? And there was an interesting tweak point there that was slightly different than if you were just booking for a wrestler in a ring to get a reaction from a crowd. So I know six to eight people that could come on the TNA roster right now and make a difference um, because they're already made for television. And I've already been booking them for television, and I've already tweaked them for television. So that's the great thing is we're going to start being able to bring in some of that talent through dark matches. Uh, they've been fantastic about uh, inviting me to bring in whoever I want. And that's just from, from my experience through resistance, resistance and let's call it the, the reach that that company had. So if I was able to find six to eight people within that realm, I feel very confident that if given uh, the, the, the right tools and I'm empowered to do so, I can easily find 50 people that I think can affect television in a unique way that are not uh, characters that you're used to seeing on television, nor are they sort of uh, somebody else's gimmick yeah, like yeah. What about the the roster, the, the characters on TNA right now? Right. Who who do you feel are some of the guys you need to build around more, build up? I I mean, look, I work for example with Bobby Lashley. I mean, Bobby Lashley is an incredibly underrated talent, booked properly, and and we booked him a couple times in in in, in Resistance, and people were coming up and saying, "I'm a WWE fan. I've never seen Bobby Lashley like this." Mm-hmm. Because it was the way we booked the matches and the way he got over as a baby. More as a killer? Or... Slight, slightly different tweak. It's hard to explain. I, I don't know. Do you want to go into that? I mean, <laughs> You'd have to see it, yeah. So Lashley's one. Yeah. My, my, no, I'm saying, sorry, I was setting somebody like Lashley aside. Okay. To me, Bobby um, is an incredible talent, underrated. Would I book Bobby slightly different than he's been booked anywhere, including TNA? Yes, I yes. would. And I'm lucky I'm going to be able to sit at that table and, and affect that opinion. But what most excites me is the opportunity to brand talent that is wholly TNAs. So when they succeed, the glory goes to TNA. Because the minute TNA can prove that it can build its own stars from the bottom up, and of course it has built some of its own stars from the bottom up. I'm not saying that negatively. But if you can build two household names, and I mean household names, where the person, the average wrestling fan on the street knows who you're talking about. If you can do that, right... And there are, and let's not forget, uh, Ring of Honor was able to brand certain names, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through their products, um, through their, just the integrity of their wrestling shows, that they became national names in wrestling circles without major television. True. So what I'm saying is not crazy. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. The, the, the word of mouth gets around, like, for example, Samoa Joe, when he first came to TNA, I knew all about him. I'd never seen one of his matches. I just heard about this guy. Yeah, right. And then once he Same. finally comes, it's, this, it's like, oh, my goodness, he's amazing. But the one thing that you have... Well, let me finish, though. Sure, because, absolutely. Because, so, when I look at the roster right now, Bram mm-hmm. is one, Rockstar Spud's another, Ethan Carter's another, holy TNA. Um, and again, it's not to disparage anybody in the roster who's made their name somewhere mm-hmm. else. I mean, you haven't... There's a lot of names on there that everybody knows. Those are homegrown about. stars. But at the end of the day, when TNA proves that it can get somebody from nowhere to the top, and then, by extension, they're being invited on 
Conan or Kimmel, mm-hmm. if you can break through to that other level, and and it's not easy. I'm not sitting here like I'm not uh, you know I'm not delusional, <laughs> but if you can do that, then that becomes TNA's story, not in reaction to somebody else's story or in the shadow of somebody's story. And so I my whole harp right away is talent development, talent talent development, because I want TNA talent branded for TNA to the glory of TNA. And if I can't do that, I am not doing my job that Dixie hired me to do. All right, sitting here with Billy Corgan. The, the interesting thing about it is, is TNA, through its history, has had you know some of the biggest names in the business with Hogan and Flair and Bischoff and Sting and you know all these guys. Right now, were you there under a mask at one point? Uh, yeah, I think wasn't <laughs> I? Was, I was Curry Man. <laughs> but the thing is, is that now none of those guys are there. So politically, you actually have a really good chance of bringing in these ideas and making them work because when you have guys in there, some of the names I mentioned their mission in life would be just to bury you because you're coming from the outside world. What the hell does Billy Corgan know? But I have to say, and, and I totally agree with you, mm. um, not knowing that, that it's true is an understanding that it probably is true. Yeah, more, more times than not, sadly. But I would love, I would love the opportunity to work with any uh, uh, legend that, that's earned that right to have that say. Um, uh, absolutely. What I'm saying is, though, is that now those guys are all gone. So you actually have, I think, a group of talent that – if I was there, I'd be actually like, I would like to hear what Billy has to say. Because you know, when you get in there, there's going to be some resistance. Of course. Because that's just the nature of the wrestling beast. It's like if I came in here and I bought Smashing Pumpkins, you know, record label or whatever, and told you, Billy, here's what I want you to do. You'd be like, <laughs> that. And you know it. You're laughing right now. You know what I mean? So totally. You're probably going to get a little bit of that because that's just the nature of, of, of what but we're I doing. But I think the job of booker or a creative person or in this case an agent or whatever um their job is to really find the um the beautiful midpoint between uh a, a talent's aspiration and your vision for them mm-hmm. and i think it's imperative that you have to sell them your vision i'm not a uh you know just because i say so you know what i mean uh, no talent would ever sort of you know uh find me going just because i say so. gotcha i i i'm i'm the pasha here my best experiences in wrestling have been getting inside the person's uh, personal journey, uh, their life experiences, what it is that attracts them to the squared circle, what do they hope to achieve. When you can find that, because I know from my own experiences when there were, were people like a Butch Vig or something or a Flood as producers, when they were able to do that with me, it unlocked some part of my creativity that I didn't even know I had. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, Stone Cold, Remaster, you know, Vince McMahon unlocked something in that character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if it's just that he gave him the road to run on. Right, and the confidence. Thank yeah. you. There's a dynamic there that happens. And so as an observer, and again, I don't know what it's like in the in the WWE booking meeting, for example, but my sense is that Mr. McMahon, because of his visionary thing, when he sees it, he knows where to go. Like, like a, Only a visionary would look at Stone Cold and go, that guy is going to, Mm-hmm. That's the next 10 years of the business. It takes that understanding, in essence, a reflection of that person's create, creative ability or their upside. And and most performers are insecure, and I'm not saying it like they're in a corner shaking. There's a level of insecurity. There because, is. Especially in a wrestling company, you have a big roster. How come I'm not getting pushed? 
I was getting pushed last week. Now I'm not getting pushed. I, I think uh, I think it's the Booker's job to to make sure that everybody's getting over, that everyone feels part of the journey, that everyone feels they have an upside. There's nothing better as an artist, and you know we're artists as a wrestler, musician, or whatever it may be, to find someone that you can truly collaborate with. Like for, he, for for you in your career, who was who was the person that you thought really gets me the, the person first, and me the character behind the scenes? Yeah. Pat Patterson. He understood what I was all about before I even did. See, that's what I'm and trying to say. And before Vince did. And, and he, but I mean, and my, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but he must have said something or done something that told you, I can open up to this guy. Yes. And and, and I can run with this guy, and this guy's not going to yank me the minute I make a— And I can a, collaborate with him. And I can make a mistake. Right. Or, which is or, part of it. Sure it is. And also, too, like I said, it's songwriting. He's got an idea— but what if I try this? What if I try this? So I don't like this. I don't like this. And suddenly you got this great piece of work mm-hmm. that started out in Cleveland and now we're in Chicago because mm-hmm. you're working together right. to build this. And I think that's one thing that maybe a lot of guys in TNA, just from watching, I think there is a lot of going through the motions because I don't think they have a lot of motivation right now. Um, they did when they got to Destination America. But I think bringing in an outside guy like yourself mm-hmm. with the attitude that you have and the knowledge that you have of doing this is going to be very beneficial to some of those guys that might be spinning their wheels a bit creatively. The one thing that anybody who works with me is going to quickly figure out is I'm there to get them over. Right. I don't need to get myself over. I'm already over. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I would t- – I mean, I, I don't care who you are. I, when, I, when we had anybody coming in, it was the same thing. That's my entire attitude. I am here to get you over. So if I'm saying it, it's because I really think this is the best thing for you mm-hmm. and then by extension for the company. And I think in most cases I was able to win over the talent to a particular vision and, and people would come to me afterwards and say, you know, sometimes uh, you know, uh, veterans will travel with their, their driving road buddy or their friend. And the, those guys would pull me aside and say, it's unbelievable. He did stuff for you that he wouldn't do <laughs> in any other promotion. There were guys that would go under that the guy would come and say, I can't believe he went under for you to put over your... Mm-hmm. Your up and comer baby face, like what did you say to him? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not just because I'm Billy Corrigan. You know what I mean? Billy Corrigan doesn't mean anything if that guy doesn't see how it's good for him. Yeah. And 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 good in wrestling is a sort of a it's a slippery slope. Like what does it really mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it really mean to to get over in a way that is self satisfying, even if quote unquote you're losing that night? If you have a great match. And if you have a great match that sort of works within your limitations or works within your physical disability or works within the fact that you don't want to take 72 bumps that night. So oftentimes when I bring in a veteran, I try to think of a match. If I was them, okay, I'm 48 years old. Now I know what it's like to be on the road. If I'm walking through that thing and I'm looking around, there's only 200 people in the gym. Am I going to want to bump 47 times? So I've already tried to think for them before they walk through the door so that I can present them an idea that will both address their concerns, um, show them the proper respect for their journey, but at the same time say, look, I need something from you here. Is there a way we can find the middle ground here? And in most cases, guys were and girls were very, very um, uh, easy Open to work to that, with yeah. because they felt like, okay, this guy understands me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, not my soul, but he understands sort of where I'm coming from yeah, yeah. because he's he's from the same world of what it's like to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and and no, my eyes aren't bugging out because I'm in front of a gymnasium in front of 200 people. It's it, you know it's more talking about uh, personal res- like self respect. Yeah, what makes them great? Mm-hmm. And I don't care. You can take the most busted down veteran if they've been at the highest levels. They know something that That's only right. a, only a few people know. 
And for every guy that wants to sit there and talk about, you know, Starcade 86, if you can get in their head today mm-hmm. and say, I understand where you are today, I respect where you are today, I'm in awe of your journey, and we're here together to have a good time. How can we do that? So when you walk out of here, you feel that was A, a good payday, B, a good time, and C, you want to come back. Right. You want to do some more. And if I can do all that, that's my, my new mm-hmm. job. I'm not there to get myself over. That's like the, la- the last thing I want to do is get myself over. Yeah. <laughs> You're already over. What, when is your first day of meeting all the talent? Like, when's your first day of work? Uh, we have tapings in Orlando May uh, 8th through 11th. Okay, so then you're going to go. I'm, I'm in the fray. You're going to be. The, are you going to be meeting with with talent individually, or, or what's your plan? Um, I, I've been sort of given a very uh, general overview of how it works, but mm-hmm. knowing how wrestling companies go, I'll show up at the appointed time, and, <laughs> and there'll be a bunch of guys in fanny packs looking at their watches. So, <laughs> I, I'm I'm more than willing to sit in the bleachers and wait for something to happen. But it's I, probably I, a good idea for you to just have a, a just a quick hello. I'm Billy Corgan. I'm here just kind of telling some of the stuff that you said. I've got a heel promo. That's how yeah, I'll start. For sure. Right. Listen, you're going to do what I say, or you're out of here. You understand? It always it's always I, good. I use those words like I like when I was when I didn't really know the business uh-huh. and like. Guys like Nash would like use like inside terms like I'm the one with the stroke around here and be, what does that mean like <laughs> is he jacking off what is that talking about yes yeah, so I'll use all those old like you but know. it's always good like wrestling is one of those things like when you walk into a dressing room you have to shake everybody's hand and if you leave and go to the gym and everyone comes back later you're shaking everybody's hand and if you don't it's like you know what that jack off didn't even shake my hand so I I think it's a smart idea to have just a, a quick mm-hmm. like uh, everyone sitting at catering uh, here's our new guy and yeah I'm Billy uh-huh. Corgan. You're making me nervous. Yeah, now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very strange world. You'll see that. You know, you'll you'll yeah. see the the difference. But you'll fit in because you come from a strange world. It's show business, man. Listen, it's very strange. It's never going to get any stranger than the ECW locker room, circa about '99. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I know us. you were in there at some point. I was there in circa '96, okay. and very okay. strange was as it well. Was a very strange locker yes. room. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean. Open drug use and what I remember the most is the first day I ever had a show in ECW was walking in the dressing room and seeing all of these gorgeous chicks wearing no clothes, like you know bikinis, and I could I'd never seen that before because back then I was coming from Japan where the female wrestlers look like female wrestlers that you would see, you know they look like guys that could kill me. I, I could never forget that. Like, look at all these girls. I'm trying to put together this match, but I can't concentrate. Can you? Can we go over into the closet and yeah. talk? Because I can't get out of yeah, it. I'd be walking past a past a room, and and you know, Francine would be doing her makeup and call me, and she had like no top on. You know <laughs> what I mean? You'd be you're like, you're like, trying you're to like a little kid, like. What is it you want? Like, look at the eyes. And <laughs> so, how is it going to be for you? I know you're going on tour this summer um, with with Smashing Pumpkins mm-hmm. and Marilyn Manson. Right? Is that a long tour? Uh, that two, two, I have months? two weeks of acoustic touring, and then I have four weeks of Manson. So how's that going to work when you're on the road? Um, I'm just going to be looped in on everything, and um, to uh, John's credit, um, he wants me in on the ground floor of everything. I'm not, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not supposed to just sit there and sort of pick apart the product. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. I want you in at the ground floor, and you know, your idea is win or die at the ground floor and and like we know in in music when you have a show or a match there's a lot of just kind of downtime sitting around so yeah. you, it's a perfect time to yeah. work on all i mean this. ideally you want to be on site when it really matters yeah. um the fact that nashville is a short flight away from chicago i think really facilitates that mm-hmm. um it's literally an hour right so um and i have friends down there so i have a place to stay so that's all really really easy do you do a lot of touring overseas with the pumpkins 
Uh, it comes and goes. It's, it's so cyclical. You mm-hmm. know, you do a bunch of touring and then they don't want to see you for a while. Yeah. It's sort of the nature of the festival circuit. You kind of get ro- it literally like a top guy. You get rotated to the, <laughs> to to the, the USA title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm down. I'm working the USA title for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, uh, right now we're kind of in an off cycle with, uh, with Europe, although probably next year we'll do a lot. But, um, I look at this as, um, a, a work in progress. I'm not. Uh, I don't think it's any secret. I'm dissatisfied with a lot of what goes on in my music career because I think the music business is run by idiots. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is, it's so bad that literally no one can retaliate against me when I call them idiots because <laughs> because it's so bad. I mean, they wouldn't dare retaliate. Did you hear what just said? Do yeah. something. I yeah, can't. I can't. I can't. There's nothing to do. Um, so I look at it as a open question: how I would balance my perspective and time if I found myself in a in a position of greater responsibility in TNA two years from now, well, maybe that's a situation where I don't take those dates in Japan because I'm much more interested in what's going on uh, with the company. <laughs> uh, I, I don't feel that uh, Dixie brought me in to be there for a year, you know, I don't, I don't feel like you're taking it that way. You're oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here to win. For the long haul, yeah. I'm here to win. And, and, and you know, uh, in every uh, situation of adversity, just like a, you know, a heel turn in baby, there's a, there's a, um, there's a great opportunity, and I think people really underestimate TNA. Say, for example, people don't like the product, and even if you say to somebody, I'm never going to watch again, okay? TNA is on in 120 countries. Wow. If you found the next punk or the next John Cena or the next Stone Cold, let's call it a generational shifting wrestler, uh, the next Jeff Hardy, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the guy or girl, woman, it could be a woman too, the next Ronda Rousey who literally shifts the business around them. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it. You've seen it firsthand where people literally come, people come in and it's like, kunk, something mm-hmm. changes. And you it see it in rock and roll, too. I saw it with Nirvana. I mean, when That's, Nirvana happened, it was like, everything was different. Guns and Roses. You know, thank yeah. you very much. And look, uh, my pride would like to say, you know, I'm one of them. But there are, there's only, you know, so many people can go through that door that first time. You know, would the rock have happened without Austin? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Right. You know, you got you, when you look, you got to say, that was Austin. Austin yeah. cracked that thing he open. He did, absolutely. He cracked that thing open. I mean, who, who would have thought in uh, the year before that anyone could ever ever been as big as Hulk was? Well, yeah, and, and, then, and then suddenly you stumble into having two icons in the same generation, which Unbelievable. might never happen again. And now look what, what uh, Rock's gone on to do. Which yeah, is, exactly. So, but you're saying that TNA, if you could find one of those generational shifting guys. The system, what I'm saying is for those who would underestimate TNA or turned off to the product in a permanent or semi-permanent way and uh, certainly they're out there because you know they're 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 there Mm -hmm. it doesn't take much to kind of click the system exactly where you want it to go the train tracks are laid the business models are laid you have a determined ceo you have esteemed people with great top level experience in the company if i'm part of that change fantastic but is that opportunity there with or without me absolutely mm-hmm. and so i'm coming in with a full head of steam saying i think i can make this shift and if i'm that difference between that battleship just tilting that little bit more to the left or right and that that creates that open path for that generational shift wrestler the sky's the limit people look at it and they say ah it can't happen well let me give you a perfect example um, when the smashing pumpkins came back in 2007 Actually, I'll go take you back a little further. 2006, Jimmy Chamberlain and I are in a uh, house in North Scottsdale, Arizona, writing what became the Zeitgeist album. The record company executive at the time told my manager that unless there were three original members in the band, it would never work. 
Okay. Sounds like a wrestling angle, right? <laughs> okay. Of course, I told him where he can go with that. We put the album out, the two of us. The album went gold. It wasn't incredibly well received, but we had a very big year to Gold in 2007 was still, it was still pretty, pretty good. Huge. We yeah. were still in, in essence, that put us in the, in the top 0.001 percentile. Right. Okay. So there you go. That said, now, 2009, Jimmy Chamberlain leaves the band. Now I'm the only original member. You can imagine the death knell stories that were written about me then. <laughs> there is no way in hell he can continue this band with just him being the only original member. And no matter what I said, no matter how I said it, people wrote me off and said, can't happen, or I won't listen anymore, mm-hmm. or if that person's not a stage, I don't want to hear it. Well, here I am uh, six years later, was just headlining Lollapaloozas in South America, 30,000, 50,000, 60,000 people, mm-hmm. crazy numbers, still making records. You know what I'm saying? Getting ready to headline a saying. tour with Manson. Because, yeah. because more people know the name Smashing Pumpkins than have an opinion about it. Yes. More people are open to professional wrestling than have an opinion about it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's say uh, there were a million people watching regularly a year ago with when they were on Spike. Okay, and let's say some of those people haven't made the jump for whatever reason, maybe mostly because of the network change. Okay, that still means there's four million, eight million, ten people, ten million people who've maybe never even been exposed to the product to decide whether they don't like it. Mm-hmm. So if you sit there and look at that one end of the telescope, well, of course you're going to say, well, it's it can only go so far. I don't believe that. I look at all those people that are there that really do want professional wrestling, that do want alternatives that do want even let's call it more Mm -hmm. that would be happy to watch wrestling programming seven days a week as the WWE network is proving that there are people who are willing to consume the product year constantly yeah great they're out there and um you know i'm not i'm not here to pick a fight or 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 challenge anything i think i'm here to fill a void that is wide open it's totally wide open Mm -hmm. and I think it just takes hard work and ingenuity, and at the end of the day, it can only happen with talent, which is why I'm harping about, you know, let me go out and find yeah. that that kid who will make that difference. Mm-hmm. Because in many cases, it only takes one. Yeah. You know, uh, if, if, if TNA can find their Derek Jeter, you can build a franchise around a Derek Jeter mm-hmm. and Easily. in a way that means more than winning or losing because the Yankees didn't always win the World Series. But everyone knew Derek Jeter. But well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. When we look back at some of the great wrestling promotions, when you saw the title shifts happening, when when it's a flare in his prime or the Freebirds at Mid South or something, when they go, if there's not that that other talent to replace it, the oxygen leaves with them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So what does that tell us? That ultimately those promotions really live and die on top talent, and how much the audience can identify with them, and then by extension, those who can benefit either in relation to that top talent or by learning from that mm-hmm. top talent, and then it has to become like a second-generation or third-generation person who benefits from the from the majesty of that person's gift, even if they don't even know what that gift was. Right. Yeah, it gives you a, a lot to, to think about, a lot to do. Uh, last question that I ask is twofold. Your favorite match that you've ever seen and still your favorite pumpkin song to play live? Um, pumpkin song to play live, I'd say... Um, that's a good one. I still like playing Bullet with Butterfly Wings. I shouldn't because it's about being a rat in the cage, but it works every time. It's like it's like my finisher. It works yes, every time. Exactly. And I pull it on, the crowd pops. doesn't matter how I do it. I'm sick of doing the DDT, but you got to totally. do it. Totally. That's right. Um, what was the other question? Sorry. Your favorite match? I got to say, 
I was thinking about this match the other day. It's hard to pick any favorite anything, sure it is. but I'll, I'll share one that really sticks out in my mind. WWE, Lesnar's come back. Mm-hmm. Cena's getting booed everywhere. And they're here in Chicago. It was a pay-per-view. Extreme Rules two years ago. Thank you very much. Yeah. I don't remember what the stip was on the match, but... I think it was just a street fight or street something fight. or whatever. Okay. No, no DQ or something. I'm at ringside. Thank you very much. <laughs> and and at that point, there was, you know, this... They were still trying to figure out how to get the crowd to stop booing Cena, you know? So this obviously... I'm, this is my perspective. Obviously, there's some kind of way to present Cena's tougher to put him in there with, with Lesnar. All I know is I'm at ringside. They start the match, and within 90 seconds, two minutes, Cena has this massive gash on his head, and Brock is beating the bejesus <laughs> yeah. out of him. And for that two or three minutes, I thought, okay, wait, is Brock out of control? Yeah. I don't see Cena really fighting back, so this is a work thing. Is he going too far, and Cena's letting it happen because... Like, what is the real dynamic? Here? It was, yeah. What's going on here? Thank you. Because the rest of the show was fine, but this is something different. No, this was a this yeah. was a level of violence that you rarely see yes. in a professional wrestling ring. And I'm talking about violence. I'm talking about the kind of violence you would see at an MMA event. Right. Because uh, Punk and I had a street fight, a Chicago street fight on that same show. That's right. And as a wrestling match, it was the match of the night. As a brutal spectacle of something you'd never seen before. Brock and Cena that night was a standout. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is ob- at some point I, I, it comes into my mind that it's it's a work thing, right? But meanwhile, you know, Cena's bleeding like a stuck pig. You know what I mean? And they're mm. doing brutal spot after brutal spot after brutal spot. I mean, these are big men, mm-hmm. strong men, mm-hmm. like power. I mean, to see that up close and watch them sort of walk right up to the line to get something over that is very ephemeral, which is Cena's toughness. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know John. I've met him a few times. He's always been very nice. People I know that know him say the greatest things about him. Mm-hmm. He has a gr- sterling reputation from anybody I know in the business. So as a person watching as a fan, I'm not in the idiot crew that doesn't understand the, 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 <laughs> how good Cena is, yeah. how much he's improved, how he's a money-making machine and how he should be celebrated. And and I and sometimes I think, maybe it's my own fantasy, I can't wait till they finally put him in the WWE Hall of Fame. Our people finally go, you know what, John? Yeah. You were great. Right. Because he, he deserves his due, and he still has never totally gotten his mm-hmm. due. And maybe that's as much a byproduct of the social media age or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, because that's the word out on him from the from the smarks. We don't thank like you very him. much. Yeah. Yeah. And, Same and, with and, Roman Reigns now. Thank you very much. Right, he's you know. going through similar things. So in watching that match up close and watching two men, uh, incredible physical, physical specimens, tell a story that is so ephemeral, it really says something about our business in that we're, we're after something that you can't explain mm-hmm. that would let two men walk through a curtain, push themselves to the edge of criminality, <laughs> and walk back through and not have heat. Mm-hmm. With each other, with each with other, the company, with yep. the company. That's the one tier of the business that you cannot explain to any interviewer, anybody on the outside. And to be slightly poetic about it, there's something sort of beautiful about it because there's a level of trust and there's a level of willingness to entertain the fans at such a deep level that they'll put their bodies and your body through stuff that you probably shouldn't do. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And what is that? Mm-hmm. And all I can compare it to is. I've done stuff on stage that is so insane that 
I'll tell you a quick story, and there's a good place to end. We're playing. We, we, we're, we're, we're poor, you know, so we can't afford to fly our own gear to Europe. We're playing a festival. We're on about 4 o'clock, you know, in the, in the shit day, daylight yeah. spot. And we've got rented gear. And the gear, my martial heads are blowing up, like, literally every two minutes. And a guy's running on stage and screwing in a fuse, and it goes back on it. And, and I'm losing my mind because it's 60,000 people. Mm-hmm. So in the insanity of that moment and thinking I'm being entertaining, I take the martial head and I put it on the stage. Meanwhile, it's still plugged in. And I start jumping up and down on top of it, trying to smash my foot through it, which if I had managed to do, I would have gone into the electrical transformer and killed myself. <laughs> but for some reason, in the back of my mind, this was a good idea. <laughs> right. Because at least if the amp's going to blow up, I'm going to destroy it on stage and like, sort of work a good angle. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. And you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's got to be moments in your life where you did something where you thought just before, I probably shouldn't do this. Totally. But they're cheering. Yeah. And I'm going to give it. them to them. Yeah, in both sides of the coin. Right? Yeah. All right. Very good. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, – uh, the uh, TNA Corgan era beginning uh, this week, man. I just I hear that like the neutron bomb. People <laughs> <laughs> say, "What the hell did I get myself into?" <laughs> Thanks again to Billy Corgan. Always great to catch up and talk wrestling and talk music with him. And it sounds like he's worked out a good balance between his TNA gig and touring with the Smashing Pumpkins this summer. They're doing a two-week acoustic tour starting June 15th in Buffalo, New York. Then they're spending four weeks on the road with Marilyn Manson on the End of Times tour. Those dates start July 7th in Concord, California. And we are doing the same. Uh, Not only am I coming back to the WWE in June, but we got some more Fozzie dates scattered throughout the summer and the next round is may 18th with slash that's going to be killer may 18th uh, in chicago illinois 21st stubs in austin texas 22nd in beaumont texas 23rd houston texas 24th dallas texas got a lot of texas shows go to fozzyrock.com for all ticket information for the slash gigs all vip information got a lot of other gigs uh, coming up as well including June 25th at the Val Air Ballroom in Des Moines, Iowa, June 26th at Anthem at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Sioux City, Iowa. Then we're playing the Square in Kitchener, Ontario, July 24th, Heavy Montreal in Montreal, August 9th, one of the biggest festivals in the world today. And then, of course, October 30th, heading out on the Kiss Cruise with Paul and Gene and all my buddies. Go to FozzyRock.com to get all ticket information for all those shows and come hang out with us you know when i'm on stage i'm rocking i'm jumping up and down as much as i can sometimes you feel a little sore after you do the shows that's okay i hooked myself up with arctic ease instant cold wraps and i feel so much better arctic ease instant cold wraps are great because they provide instant cold therapy to your injuries aches and pains while you're still active that means you wear them and still perform on stage or when you're working out or just walking around whatever it is if your joints and muscles are sore Arctic Ease Instant Cold Wraps keep them wrapped and chilled, and they stay in place while giving you similar recovery benefits to ice therapy. And the surprising thing about Arctic Ease Wraps, there's no freezer necessario. The wraps are sleek and comfy. No bulky ice. They don't show under your clothes, whether you're at the gym, running, surfing, softball, whatever it is you want to do, Arctic Ease Instant Cold Wraps will keep yourself from being sidelined, all right? Arctic Ease Instant Cold Wraps are reusable, clinically tested, proven effective. Just put them on and you have targeted 
instant cold and compression therapy when and where you need it before during and after exercicio for pain swelling and injuries you can safely use arctic ease for instant long lasting cold compression therapy even while you're training you need to try it to believe it it really really works don't put your training on ice get reusable arctic ease cold wraps at cvs pharmacy or go to arcticease.com get instant cooling relief when and where you need it All right, now it's time to fill you in on those dates, the 19 dates that I'm going to be doing uh, for the WWE in June, July, and August, the Y2J WWE Summer Tour. Okay, you ready? June 12th, Springfield, Illinois. June 13th, Terre Haute, Indiana. June 20th, Las Vegas. June 27th, Boston, Massachusetts. June 28th, Reading, Pennsylvania. July 2nd, Singapore. July 3rd, Tokyo. July 4th, Tokyo. July 10th, Philadelphia. July 11th, Pittsburgh. July 31st, San Diego. August 1st, Ontario. August 2nd, Fresno. August 15th, Detroit, Michigan. August 16th, East Lansing, Michigan. August 21st, Bridgeport, uh connecticut sorry august 22nd white plains new york 29th san juan puerto rico and finishing up august 30th in tallahassee florida so there's your 19 dates hopefully uh you guys will uh come and see me on those ones those are the only dates i'm doing right now at this point in time not to say there won't be more in the future but if you want to see y2j in the summer of 2015 that's where i'm gonna be so come on down and hang out i'm excited to come back to the wwe all right excited to see me i hope so I hope I haven't worn out my welcome with you guys uh, as much as much flack as I've been getting lately. But I'm really, really looking forward to it. I'm doing this uh, for you guys. You know, I'm doing it to come and see the fans. And it's only 19 shows, but it's 19 shows. So that's not too bad. Thank you to you guys for constantly uh, asking me when I'm coming back to the WWE and for constantly welcoming me when I do. Uh, I'm really, really excited, like I said. So stay tuned for more information. There'll be more. There's another really big announcement about what I'm going to be doing this summer as well. So uh, stick around for that. As soon as I can uh, divulge that, I will let you know. And I'm also going to let you know right now how you can win that $50 gift card to Pro Flowers. Here's what you need to do. Just hit me up on the Twitter at TalkIsJericho. Tell me your mom or wife's favorite flower and use the hashtag ProFlowers, okay? Two lucky people will get a $50 gift card to Pro Flowers, but don't forget, you have to hashtag Pro Flowers and you have to follow me at Talk is Jericho so I can follow you back and DM you if you won. You got it? Hashtag Pro Flowers. Tell me your wife from mom's favorite flower and follow me at Talk is Jericho and we'll award two lucky listeners, two lucky sexy beast listeners, $50 gift card to Pro Flowers, okay? That's my present from me to you. Thanks for the support. Thanks for uh, listening to this show for free for twice a week. And thanks to my Amazeball cookie sponsors for supporting the show. Proflowers.com, Vegas.com, DDP Yoga, True Car, and of course, Amazon. You can find all my sponsors and my Amazon links at podcast1.com. Click on the Keep Your Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. I appreciate you guys using those Amazon links. Whenever you do your online shopping, Amazon UK, Amazon USA, Amazon Canada, A, if you live in one of those three countries, you can uh, participate. You do your shopping on Amazon. They kick back a little bit of cash to the show so we can keep the lights on and do this show for you for free twice a week. No extra fees, no hidden challenges. 
You're just getting your shopping done. You help me out in the process. All right. Go to podcastone.com. Click on the keep our podcast free. Bear on top of the page. Then hit the talk is Jericho button. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, another great episode. Thanks to Billy Corrigan. And I hope you enjoyed my new uh, uh, announcement. I am coming back to the WWE for the summer tour. All right. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Stay cool. Peace, love and hugs. And on Friday, Dean Ambrose returns, but we're talking the paranormal. That's right. Ghosts, UFOs, Sasquatches. We both believe in all that stuff. We get into an in-depth conversation about the paranormal with one of my favorite people in the WWE right now, Dean Ambrose. So we'll see you on Friday, and that's a big 10-4 and a big yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com. 